Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello! Welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we're a couple of guys who write about Doctor Who in our journalistic careers, and love to talk about the show, and love to visit every single story in random order. And we are visiting a doozy today. We are visiting one of the classic episodes, and in some ways, one of the, the most controversial stories in Doctor Who, and one that I'm nervous about pronouncing, oddly, still, every time I say it, I'm nervous. Do you want me to do it, Chris? Yes, please. I can jump in. It is the Talons of Wang Chiang. Wang Chiang. Not Wang Chang. Not, as I believe the BBC said at several points when introducing the show, displaying the casual racism of the 1970s. Um, Actually, I think even I said Chang when I was teasing this up before or it might have just really not hit the chai Chai, (laughs) quite so hard it's chai Chai. well that's apparently i'm just going honestly by how they pronounce it in the actual story sure uh so i gotta take that as the the authority uh because wing chang i mean it's supposed to be some chinese god i guess but he didn't really exist it's just made up for a made-up chinese god which which sort of feels like they they got it from the sort of kung fu uh 1970s language generator you know this this really is the era of kung fu right the the song i believe was a hit in this year kung fu fighting i called yeah, it the year was 1977 i believe yes the year was 1977 studio 52 <laughs> i just up um yeah it's very 1970s in a lot of ways and this is definitely the only doctor who title ever to refer to fingernails oh uh, and that's, the- <laughs> that's probably not what it's known for, but yeah, now that I come to think of it. That is often remembered as the only Doctor Who story to refer to fingernails in its title. I, I'm sure there's a Pertwee episode somewhere where he's like clipping away while, you know, <laughs> drinking a glass of wine and having some cheese. He was so regal. Or probably just doing that. He was such a casual, uh, casually, um, very hygienic Doctor Pertwee. Yeah. So, so we... Sure. It- in, in fact, as we discover, uh, spoiler alert, but this isn't really anything to do with the plot anywhere, in any way, but uh, uh, Wang Chiang's fingernails are dirty, and the Doctor doesn't <laughs> trust him. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, and and that's it's a good tip. It's a good that's, tip. That is the whole reason. You know what it feels like? It feels like you know when you when you're reading Wikipedia about a famous movie and you see that it had a really dumb name through all of production, you know, and they then they try decided to change the name at the last minute, you know, and you're like, wow, I mm-hmm. really glad they changed that name. That would have been so dumb if it this brilliant movie that is a classic of all time had a name like you know the fingernails of. Uh, I, you know, whatever the main character Nails is. of sin. <laughs> like that's that's not a great title, um, but the talons of Wang Chiang. It is. It is um, mm-hmm. a, a very famous, very well loved Doctor Who episode that I, a story that I had not seen before. You had seen it before. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've seen it before, but like so many of this era, I haven't seen it in decades. Yeah, and uh, it's a bit like off-putting say, because it's it's six episodes. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a long one. one. And it's, it's hard not one. to look back on these ones and have them sort of feel long too. Yeah. Um, but also, Doctor of course, Who's obviously famous for padding corridors mm. and people do going to the same locations repeatedly. That certainly features quite a bit in this one. It does, but the locations are so beautiful. We we don't even care. Uh, I I could just the, well, the show is so visually gorgeous. This particular yeah, story. I agree. I this one, I mean, it's. I wouldn't exactly use the word beautiful, but I would say like so beautifully authentic. Because um, we're visually, looking at like visually rich in everything. Yes, yes. Um, lots of lots of good location shooting. You know, it's and it's all very convincing because uh, I mean it's it's done in the real places. Yeah. And you have and like, rivers colored- and, and townhouses and theaters. It's all very good. And they've, it seems like they've color corrected everything to yellow, which I don't know is yet another piece of casual racism uh, involved in this story. <laughs> um, but it is it just looks beautiful. It really does. It's so redolent of, of Victoriana, Victorian London, and the era of Jack the Ripper, you know. Mm-hmm. And they really uh, feel it. yeah, so so Tom Baker, we, we should mention Tom Baker wears a deerstalker in, in the story. I, I know I'm... I'm uh, procrastinating on uh, describing the story but i just want to say that tom baker went on to play sherlock holmes on british tv and you sort of feel like this this was his audition tape it has that level of um professionalism to it all and great performance um that yeah totally did you did you ever see his performance as holmes i did not i'm a bit wary of it just as i was wary of this but for a different reason which was that it was critically panned so I remember, I can't remember. Honestly, there were a couple things uh, of Tom Baker's performances that I saw uh, that are pretty famous from the era. One is one is his performance in Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, the Holmes adventure. Mm-hmm. And I remember really being pretty riveted. I, I, I liked it a lot. And um, even I was younger, but it's still I thought I thought he was very convincing, um, though. I, I, I think I like him better as the doctor, you know, aping Holmes than than him as Holmes himself. Yeah, and yeah. another another performance he did was as Rasputin in yes. um, the the uh, what what do they call it? Uh, the, obviously the Tsar Tsar Nicholas and yes, um, yes, and Alexandria. I think that was it. And um, one of his, that his, one his first movie roles. I, actually didn't, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I didn't know he was actually in it because I actually saw that one. I remember distinctly for school because we were living, we, we were learning about uh, the history of Europe. And uh, that was that was sort of a thing we just watched in, in class one day. And I was just like, oh, my God, Tom Baker's in this. This is awesome. <laughs> Doctor, I mean, what's happened? Sat up, paid attention. Uh, when he, you know, if you think about Rasputin, I mean, um, and um, he's kind of regenerates, doesn't he? 
Kind There's of a little does. Bit of Time Lord carry over there. Yeah, Rasputin. Every time he's shot, stabbed, drowned, he he comes back, but he just forgets to regenerate into a new body. Right. Maybe he's got that controlled regeneration, but there's strong <laughs> evidence that Rasputin was a Time Lord. Yeah, maybe maybe it's Zygma energy. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> he was going to decay anyway, so he was like, "What the hell." All right, before we make too many more references to stuff in the Talons of Wang Chang, it's time for the part of the show that I dread, because this week it is my turn to do It is your turn. TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who, or Too Long Didn't Watch. Um, I think in this case we should call it Too Long Do Watch, because Mm. this is, uh, it it holds up, despite the, the racism issues that we're going to discuss, um which are more nuanced than I was uh, worried about. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah. I get layers, 30 seconds. Anyway. I get 30 <laughs> seconds per episode. And there are That's six right. episodes. So you have a generous amount of time this time. Very generous three minutes. I'm doing this, as regular listeners know, without a net. Um, I have mm-hmm. no notes in front of me. I'm doing it entirely from the memory of just having watched through the six episodes of the Talons of Bang Chang once, um, which is often not enough to get the twisty, turny plot of a Doctor Who story. But uh, I'm going to give it a shot anyway, and it'll either be hilariously bad or I will nail it. Yeah. TLDW is an exercise in prioritization, as I learned Indeed. last week with Oxygen. <laughs> My new rule of thumb, by the way, is don't don't bother with the cold opens. Luckily, don't- Classic Who does not have that problem. <laughs> So you're you've already got uh, you've already already ended the game here, Chris. So you got three minutes. Right. I know you can do it. All Let's right. go in three, two, one, go, sir. Okay, so it's London, eighteen ninety two. The Doctor and Leela arrive in the TARDIS, and they go to the theatre because the Doctor shows wants to show Leela what her ancestors did for entertainment. And in the theatre, the Palace Theatre, uh, run by Henry Gordon Jago, uh, is a uh, magician, uh, uh, Mr. Chang, Li Shei Chang. Um, and uh, his, but his gang, he and his gang appear to be abducting women, and a cabbie comes in and complains, and then the cabbie gets killed, and the doctor encounters the uh, the Chinese gang uh, dragging the body seconds. towards the river, and uh, uh, gets involved in a fight, goes to the police station, and uh, Mr. Chang comes down to the police station and gets the uh, the gang member to commit suicide, and it turns out that he's uh, killing all these uh, women. Uh, drank the river style and then uh, feeding them to the uh, uh, Zygma energy experiment thing of his master, uh, who is supposedly the Chinese god Wen Chang. Actually, turns out, spoiler alert, to be Magnus Greel, a scientist from 51st century Iceland, uh, who is trying to steal the time cabinet from a police pathologist that the doctor meets called uh, Professor Lightfoot. Um, so uh, the Doctor works with uh, Jago, who's just this wonderful character uh, in the theatre, and, and he uh, sort of dances around Chang. And Chang has a, a puppet called uh, Mr. Sin, uh, who turns out to be a pig hom- homunculus from the 51st century that has been stolen and taken back through time. Magnus Grill turns out to be the first person to travel Minute back 30. through time, and, and he's trying to sustain himself by, by turning all of these... Uh, uh, Ladies into uh, Zygma energy. Uh, Leela is captured at some point. There's the, the giant rats down in the cellars that the Doctor and Leela encounter, and that uh, uh, Chang, in his efforts to steal the time cabinet from his master, uh, ends up 
uh, getting his leg bitten off by one of the uh, giant rats uh, and ends up helping the doctor. And the doctor and Leila trace uh, Chang through the theaters, lots of Phantom of the Opera stuff, chasing around the theater with uh, Jago is convinced that the doctor is with Scotland Yard and that he is sort of the assistant. And the doctor also has some wonderfully Sherlock Holmesy stuff with uh, with Lightfoot as well. Eventually, Jago and Lightfoot team up and they they try and sneak into uh, Chang's um, uh, office digs lair, whatever, and uh, they they get captured and uh, uh, quite worried about Two what's going to happen to them. And then uh, the it all ends up with the Doctor confronting Magnus Greel um, and uh, Leela shooting at him, and and the pig homunculus going crazy with a, with a giant laser gun. And uh, in the in the end. Uh, Greel gets killed by his own Sigma energy thing. The doctor actually pushes him into killing him. And then he buys everyone muffins from the muffin man and uh, disappears in the TARDIS. And Jago is convinced that it's just a Scotland Yard thing. Still, Three minutes. The police box disappeared. Yes. Boom. Oh my goodness. Nailed it. That was great. Yeah. I think uh, by abandoning this, the, the plot, you know, process by process, because there's a lot of back and forth within all of that, right? To the sewers, to Lightfoot's house. Yeah. You know. I couldn't say you got it all perfectly in order. No, <laughs> but no. I, don't, I, I couldn't confirm it either. Um, and, but I'm impressed you got the Muffin Man in there. <laughs> I didn't get Peggy though. Peggy is a famous uh, character uh, among Who fans who who sees the corpse of the cabbie right when it's dredged up um, from the river and oh, just go, just choose up the scenery with a oh, it were horrible, it were horrible, sir. Oh yes, oh my yes, goodness. Yes. Uh, so there's she's, a, she's there's fantastic. A, there's a few good um, bit players, female bit players in this. There's her. There's the one, um, the one prostitute that Chang walks up to in the morning, mm. who has kind of a memorable role. It's kind of like she's just going to bed, and, or you know, she's had obviously a, a night. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and indeed. he's that trying quite, to grab her. Quite an adult yeah. moment for for classic Doctor Who for a show for kids. Yeah, and really, um, really unsettling. I mean, you know, that really showed the 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 depravity of like what Chang and, and Grill were up to. Mm. Uh just sort of grabbing these women and giving them some kind of story and then uh the hypnosis. Um all of that was was um uh, just really kind of creepy. Uh and a good a good sort of way to show Leela and that mm. scene and that particular scene, like her 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 ability to kind of like not just and this is a strength of Leela, but it's definitely shown there, not just sort of hang around the doctor, ask what's going on. Uh, get into trouble, et cetera, et cetera. Like she was very proactively is like, I'm going to take care of this. And yes. she replaces the woman and goes and actually does a decent job of, um, you know, at least getting, throwing a wrench in the works of Magnus Grill's plans at that point. It is a um, great, great story for Leela. So she has so much agency in this. Uh, she, she kills the, the Chinese gang member who's following the doctor. Yeah. She right straight off the up murders a guy. Yeah, I mean, and he, then goes he, to the police you know, station and just sort of straight up admits it while the doctor tries to shush her in a hilarious moment. The police don't even notice; she just admits yeah. to the murder. Um, yeah, although it, you know, I mean, it, her point that the guy was trying to kill the doctor is well taken. So, but and I'm glad, though I'm still glad the doctor chastises her for doing it. Hmm. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's, pretty much like there's a bit of like it's it's a it's a bit. <laughs> gray because he's obviously the you know like a bad guy and he's trying to murder him 
but he wasn't really doing mm-hmm. it right that second. And all you know, he yeah. was, he was kind of like the worst axe thrower in all of Asia, I guess. Yeah. Europe. Yeah. I mean, it was more like a couple of feet. It seemed like, but it was like, Oh, well that didn't work. And he just seems like, Oh, uh, I don't know what to do now. Uh-huh. And then, just, uh-huh. then he just dies. use my one axe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, got to reload yes so this is anyway. should, should we should we discuss the racism right off the bat because I, th- I think it's i think we just got to jump right in it dude i think yes 100 percent. because i want to say that the one of the reasons why i've never seen this before despite knowing that it was such a classic among whovians was the fear of having you know the show that i love tainted by the the most overt casual mid-70s racism you know that 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 ever graced the screen with Doctor Who, and of course the uh, the obvious thing that we have to talk about up front is John Bennett, uh, an English actor who plays Lee Sen Chang uh, right. in Yellowface, and it's yeah. not it's not just any Yellowface. It is like his his makeup is caked on so much that uh, his eyes cannot move. Like they've really overegged the pudding when it comes to you know making making the eyebrows look you know the eyes look shiny and slanty and and you know it's it's just horrible it's horrible makeup that you would never do today. A lot of people say you couldn't make the talons of Wen Chiang today because of the racism. I don't think that's true. I think that today you would have much more of a focus on the normalization of it in Victorian culture. Right. right? Um, yeah. It is surprising. In, in the dialogue, there, Chang gets many moments where he gets to point out how racist the English are, which is kind of There are nice. some really good moments, yeah, I think. Um, and he plays with it. The, 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 it. There's so many unfortunate things about it, but it, to your mm. point, I think it could be remade in such a way that is taking, I think, what a lot, what was probably unintentional in the script in some places mm. and making it more intentional and more of a, a biting commentary on um, Victorian culture, casual racism of the past. Uh, you know, you and and you kind of also have to flesh out just generally the the stereotypes uh, of the supporting characters, which aren't even really mm-hmm. characters; they're all stock characters, like all the gang members. Like you literally don't get any depth whatsoever. It's but Chang as a character, and again, it's a, the, the whole choice of Yellowface is is so bad on so many mm-hmm. levels. But Chang as a character isn't isn't as bad. I mean, Chang, Chang is actually. He's a, a great fairly character. round character. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I actually really liked he how in places he he sort of seems to leverage the prejudice of the people around him to make yes. either mocking jokes or actually mm. advance his plan. Yeah, you know, he has like, two great lines. There's, there's he he says to the doctor, oh, "We all look the same, right, doctor?" Right. And then when when the doctor is on stage and runs away from the cabinet, uh, Chen says, "Oh, one of us is yellow." Uh, meaning yeah. cowardly and it's it's a joke that his racist victorian audience laughs at and you sort of get the sense of the infinite sadness of having to live in a culture that just looks at you as as this thing every day right you know doesn't see you sees your the color of your skin right. um and thinks of you as sort of a- literally alien and beneath them yeah um and, yeah i and, mean and just there, to- it's there right so just to redeem it, I want to read uh, the a paragraph from from the Terence Dix uh, novelization of the Talents mm. um, because he I, I don't know if it was Terence Dix's deliberate you know intention to sort of 
uh, distance the book from the show in this regard. Uh, but but tell me what you think. Jago had first heard what? of Lee Sen Chang through the theatrical grapevine of fellow theater managers. Previously unknown in the profession, the magician had appeared from nowhere. Perhaps he really was from China, as he claimed. After all, he really was Chinese, unlike most Oriental magicians who are usually English enough once the makeup was off. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm, so he's, right? he's actually... It's a bit of meta, meta commentary. Yeah. 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 That's Which is interesting. nice. It's nice to know because I, 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 something I, you know, I love to do research before every pull to open a little bit and sort of dive into my curiosity about the show. And one of my curiosities about the Talents of Wen Chiang was at what point did Doctor Who fans realize that this was wrong? Right. Pretty the, early. Yeah. I've got to think pretty early. And you know, uh, there's a couple of things, pieces of evidence that, sh- that show this. So one was reactions overseas. Um, mm. it, sort of, it's, I, in researching the episode, I was reading up that the I, I believe it was being broadcast on the CBC in Canada at the time, mm. and the CBC actually refused to air it. And mm. um, I, I, in true Canadian fashion, I think they sent some strongly worded letter um, <laughs> to the to the BBC about it. It's um, not okay. So, eh? and, yeah, well, I kind of like that. You know, the colonies <laughs> ended mm. up sort of hey, this this ain't this ain't okay. But in Canada, you. you know, there's a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm half Canadian. If no people like listening don't aware, and I, I have, I'll be the first to criticize Canada for for mm. many of its flaws. But I mean, one of the things that is is pretty nice about it is that it, multi- it really lives and and walks the walk as much as it can uh, as mm. a British colony of multiculturalism. Yes, and I think that that sort of uh, DNA in in that in that. Um, country and that fab- the fabric of that country sort of uh, made it sort of stand up and realize mm. you know this this really isn't right. So the this this happened thing, immediately on the the first Canadian screening, like nineteen seventy. I believe so. I think it was like nineteen eighty. So it might not have been the mm. first one. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to. I'd not. My research didn't go down that far okay. in terms of what the first was. Yeah, roughly yes. contemporaneous with the the British right. screening. Yeah. And the other thing that I remember is that I remember opening up my Doctor Who magazine, and this was probably the late 80s or early 90s. Mm. And there was an article that was just extremely critical. Like, it actually took me by surprise. I was taken aback, and Mm. it was very memorable. Uh, I don't have that issue anymore. I was looking for it as I was, um, again, prepping. But Mm -hmm. uh, it it just seared me because I never actually thought of the episode – in that way, hmm. um, you know, I, I picked up on some of the stuff that, uh, um, you know, the, the the knowing jokes of Chang and the sort of uh, references to racism. But I remember I, I'd seen it like probably a few years before I was a little younger. I was probably in my early teens, if not 11 or 12. And, you know, I I, I, re- I don't think I even really picked up on that. Does does that guy just look weird, or is it a guy in makeup like the the mm. John Bennett playing Chang? You know, mm-hmm. I was just really naive uh, watching the whole thing. So when I read this article in Doctor Who magazine, I was like, "Wow, you know, this um, they're making a lot of good points." <laughs> yeah. Particularly, it made a, a big issue about the issue of um, representation, and that. Yeah. And this is this is if you think about it, like about twenty some years, maybe more, before Oscar's so white, yeah. and I was. Um, it, it, it was one of the sort of, it, it was, uh, got a, I was young, but it really made me think like, huh, mm. interesting, you know, like, 
I never really thought of it that way. I thought it was just sort of a very important article. Yeah. And I think there yeah. was some reaction to it um, from readers. And there was probably a lot of defensiveness off the bat. So I don't know if it went there for a while after it. But the fact that it went there at all. Yeah, using this as a teachable moment for Doctor Who fans, I think, is, is a very good way to... Uh, to have it still be a very important part of the conversation and allow you still to enjoy one, one of the finest Doctor Who stories there is. Um, it is now available on BritBox uh, since 2020, I believe, with a, a warning beforehand uh, that I think is sort of nicely worded and allows us still to see the show instead of, you know, censoring it completely, you know, saying it, it Doctor Who reflects the attitudes of the time, I think is the phrase it uses, right? Um, right, something like that. It took me by surprise to see those warnings, but it looked like I was also like, "Oh, of course," you know. Yeah. Like as soon as I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, oh, yeah." But it, obviously, those are brand new. I'd never seen them before. Um, I've seen be, them on BritBox before because I've been watching a nineteen uh, seventies sitcom that I loved called The Good Life, uh, which I believe over here screened as uh, Good Neighbors. Um, uh, you know, about a British British couple who go back to the land in their suburban backyard. Um, and uh, they, a few of the, these shows would would have this warning before it. And I'd always be like, what? I don't remember any racist jokes in this thing. Like, it was super hippy-dippy, you know, back-to-the-land 70s kind of thing. Um, but it turned out there was, there was one where it had that warning. And it was um, Tom, the, the, the husband in the show, doing a Confucius voice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yet again, another sort of casual Asian racism moment. And I've yeah, got to say, yeah. the, the, the moment that, that, that made my heart sink the most in Talons of Wang Chang is not the yellow face acting, uh, mm-hmm. because that's sort of the, the way, like, once he's in that makeup, he does great. Okay, right. Yes, they should have cho- chosen an Asian actor. There are plenty on British TV in the 70s. There's no excuse for this. Um, but uh, worse than that is the fact that the doctor himself is casually racist mm-hmm. in in the talons and we should definitely what are you referring to specifically he well he he references the the shortness of the people that he was uh attacked by Mm -hmm. right which is is a trope i mean it's not super overt but he does talk a lot about you know uh the chinese as a people and and he does sort of make this casual reference to it, a small man, little man. I, I can't remember what the exact phrase was, but it's it definitely stopped me. And it's just in one episode, you know. Right. The rest of it, I, I got to say, to, to kind of balance that, this is one of the finest Tom Baker performances ever. I have oh yeah, to say. he's fantastic. He is at the height uh, of his powers here. He is just floating through this story, effortlessly making it just brilliant. So much fun to think- watch. That's a good transition um, to sort of talking about the other elements of the story, yeah, but sure. just to kind of um, uh, also comment on what really sort of stopped me, and I had to actually rewind it to, to hear the actual dialogue, was um, Lightfoot, who, who supposedly spent some time in China, hmm. um, actually uses like, the I don't think we can even say it, the... The, uh, the, the, the CH the, word? the CH word for, to refer to Chinese. And that was, mm. that's rough. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the thing rough, is, but like, also I, reflective I, of, of the Victorian era, you know, we, we, he, he makes a, he makes a, that's subtle, why I'm a little, he, he also makes a subtle reference at that moment to the opium wars. Right. 
right? Which is yeah, just... and it's all it's all true, and it's all like I mean, this mm-hmm. is the thing, right? Like it's rough, but I I to your point, it's like if you were making like a screen accurate version of how mm-hmm. people would talk about Chinese people back then, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. people would just do that and it'd be casual and it wouldn't be mm-hmm. done with malice. It would just be that's what they say, and that's exactly sort of how it's played. Yeah. Um, though you never get, and this is the, the, it's not, honestly, that wasn't so much the issue. It is the, the real thing that's a real shame is the doctor who typically is the person sh- shaming or at least yes. giving a, uh, tisk tisk type remark to people who do have those attitudes says nothing throughout yeah. uh, or virtually nothing. That's, that's really thing. disappointing. You've really put your finger on it. It wasn't just that the doctor is casually racist in what he does say. He is, and this is a very, very 2021 thing to talk about. He's casually racist in the things that he doesn't say. He doesn't speak up. He doesn't speak out against the racism in Victorian society when he encounters it. Um, uh, You know, especially given that he has such a relationship, great relationship with Jago and Lightfoot. you know, he, he could correct them a little bit. He could try and make them a little bit more enlightened. It is what the doctor would do. We absolutely know this in our bones. Um, yeah, and I know he doesn't have to lead a revolution. Country. He he doesn't have to change history as we know it. But the the I, he he's he does this before. I mean, he does this before and 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 since you know, like if you think about Pertwee episodes, like the oh, I'm thinking of the Colony in Space, where there's an mm-hmm. Aboriginal population. Um, that that he sticks up for. Similarly, Power of Kroll, which is actually just a season or two later, um, the Swampies in that one. So it's not like the show hadn't done it before or since. Mm. It's just it's it's when it comes to real people and real races here on on Earth, um, it's just too bad it got a little gun shy. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I don't know if it's a Robert Holmes thing. Like it's reflective of his unconscious attitudes. But yeah, definitely a fascinating historical study in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and it's weird. so speaking of the the uh, you know Doctor Who's normal approach to you know Aboriginal uh, groups, um, you know normally being on their side, there is a lovely moment where so the comedy of manners of Leela and Lightfoot is is one of the, the <laughs> best subplots that's going on here. Um, and, and oddly ends with her trying to explain tea and why she don't, she should only accept one lump of sugar, which is weird because earlier on he'd actually done this wonderful thing of because Leela doesn't know how to use cutlery, she you know doesn't imagine even why it should be a thing. She just picks up a hunk of meat that the cook has left, you know, this brilliant you know refined Victorian supper that's been left out uh, for Leela and Lightfoot, um, and she just picks up a giant hunk of meat and bites into it, and Lightfoot does the same. To sort of <laughs> spare her blushes, which is a sort of wonderfully sort of, you know, a chivalrous thing to do and be sort of, you know, accepting of other cultures and other ways of behaving. So, and she, she tries to nice kind of moment. show some gratitude by complimenting mm. the steak knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good knife. And it's like, come on, Leela, that's not a good knife by your standards, right? Like, yeah. But she's something she's, that can really penetrate. She's trying to be polite. I like that. Yes. Well, so exactly. They're both trying to be polite to each mm. other, and you know they develop this. Yeah, this nice little relationship. Um, mm. I really like the scene in the mortuary where he talks about her being a lady of refinement, and the doctor's there, and she turns to him. Does he mean me? And she's kind of delighted. And the doctor's, yeah, I don't think so. 
<laughs> like that's some, there's some very clever dialogue in this. Yeah, uh, it in really this is. And Leela, speaking of Leela, gets one of the most meta moments in all of Doctor Who history, where she's the Doctor's like, "Do you know what this is?" I can't even remember what he's referring to, and she's like, "No, but I, I'm sure my my job is just to stand here while you tell me." <laughs> yeah, you ask me to tell me. Like, yeah, just you tell ask me, dude. Me in order to tell me. She gets it. She cuts through his bullshit. I mean, no wonder, you know, I, I think there was a little more than, than Tom Baker thinking that the Leela character didn't work that created their frostiness on set. I'm sure he just didn't like sort of having a companion now who would just straight yeah, up see through his bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we, yeah. We, there, there is another reason why the Talents of Wen Chang is uh, infamous uh, and has not aged well in Doctor Who fandom. And that is the giant mm. rat. Oh my! Yes, we did. We've come to the rat portion of the Talents of Wang Chan podcast. To the rat. I was actually not that knowing in advance that the rat was kind of famous for for being a, a terrible, terrible special effect. Um, I, I actually wasn't that um, taken out of it, taken out of the story no, because we're used no, in Doctor the, Who to seeing this sort of yeah. thing. I don't know why people zero in on the rat. I mean, the rat is bad. And I think it's it's really bad in, in a, not just that the effect is bad, but they actually reuse like the same footage of this zoomed in rat a few times, like two or three times, mm, mm-hmm. which does it, which makes it even worse. But really like you're, but you're, you're zeroing in on the rat. Like, I mean, you're not the Zarbi, not the Merka. You know, or a host of other uh, special effect or, monsters I could have. Or the Tara Beast, uh, given that we the, just did the that Tara one. Beast. I mean, classic Doctor Who, it has bad special effects. I mean, mm. like, get used to it, you know, get over yeah, it. Deal with it. Like, yeah, I, and honestly, I, I was never really bothered by it. Like, I really, mm. you know, you just, there's always a point in, in these classic serials where you just kind of have to wink and nod at the camera and like, Oh, okay. I can see the zipper on the Silurian, but you know what? I'm going with it because they're doing, they're making a good point. And the story's really, really good. Um, So yeah, not so bad. And honestly, like I will say the Leela getting chased and nearly her leg chopped off or or bitten off uh, is actually not bad. Uh, That one bit is okay. And honestly, Uh, it would have, perhaps tipped over the line into too much gothic horror had the rat been more realistic it would not have been appropriate for kids um, yeah, totally. i don't know pete did you say that your your kids were, were a little scared by by this story they were my so i watched it actually not all of it with my eight-year-old i've been watching doctor who classic who with my 11 year old who's gotten inter- interested uh hmm. which has been great but my eight-year-old um, for whatever reason, was around, and I was like, "Okay, well, Doctor Who's for kids." <laughs> and so <laughs> we um, watched the first three episodes with her, and she it gave she was really frightened by it. Not anything specifically. I think the rat she was sort of interested and fascinated by, but mm-hmm. she um, she did, <laughs> she asked to sleep in uh, our like my mm-hmm. my bed that night, mm-hmm. like my my wife's bed, so that mom and dad could sort of reassure her. Um, so it's just it's like really the, the, atmosphere. the atmosphere of it. Yeah, the gothic yes. horror. And people talk about yeah, this, yeah. right? The the Hinchcliffe Holmes era, the, the increased levels of gothic horror, and this sort of being the apex of it. Yeah, and the deaths that are taken very seriously and really quite ugly, even though you don't, it's not gory, but like the body in the mm. river, it's pretty mm. bad. Like that's a, that's a scary thing. Yeah. Um, and just like why people are sort of familiar um but also acting in sort of 
sort of weird ways and sort of the casual um, detachment of the police. I think it was all a little, you know, all a little real for her. Um, and, and I'm obviously the father of the year after this, right? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> well, you know, the Doctor Who exists to give us good scares as kids. It certainly did for me. It never did me any harm. Uh, he said, twitching. <laughs> he said, twitching and hiding behind the sofa. Uh, <laughs> no, I loved getting scared by Doctor Who as a kid. Scared by the Daleks. I mean, that's that's part of the thrill of it. You know, it is a safe way to scare yourself. Hundred uh, percent. And that age. this one, I think. Now that I think about it, what might have been really scary for her is Mr. Sin. Mm. And to talk about Mr. Sin a bit, I think in terms of concept and in some ways execution, it's probably the scariest thing about the whole serial. Like Mr. Sin is this, apparently this homunculus from the 51st century. With a pig brain. Yeah, with a pig brain. So I guess he is a dummy. Like he's he's an automaton that has... Uh, some kind of computer circuit or something the doctor says and a pig brain and it's turned into this thing that likes carnage yeah uh, it's, i think that's sort of the line it's very it kind of reminds you of the autons right it, it yeah. sort of feels like mr sin has his lineage in the autons but there's super creepy moments like when the eyes move uh the blood drips down the sleeve yeah. and then the fact that he just goes absolutely ape or absolutely pig at the end just just goes nuts um well also like it can't be it seemingly can't be killed or hurt yeah like there's a knife sticking out of its neck at one point it doesn't even blink uh which completely makes sense uh because it's (laughs) it's you know essentially a little robot but yeah the um the 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 bit at the end where he's in the laser dragon (laughs) and he's shooting down you know um, our heroes, but then all those henchmen come in and he just guns them down. Cause he's just, he's losing it. And yeah. he just loves the carnage. I thought that that's a horrific moment and could have been made. I, this might've been a little over, over the top. And maybe I, I don't think the decision was to make it less over the top, but you, you don't even see sort of the lasers at that point. I mean, you, they could yeah. have had a bit more close ups or just cut it in a different way so that you really sort of feel the, uh, the the psychoness of it, and you know, a bit of a yeah. Bit I kind of, I kind of wanted him to that whole sequence. I wanted him to say, "Say hello to my little friend." At the end, uh, <laughs> the, uh, it would just. And speaking of classic movies, did you also get Elephant Man vibes from from Magnus Greel slash Wang Chan? Totally, You're right? Totally. And I've forgotten is... about that. It's actually like it's a reveal you kind of have to do mm. because you know disfigured guy behind the helmet. You, at some point it's Chekhov's gun and you got to pull that off and mm. see what he looks like. But it's, it's, it's really ugly, but it's also like, it's one of the least interesting things about Greel and the whole, uh, everything that's going on. So I, I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. But he, he does. Yeah. He kind of looks frightened when, when Leela rips his mask off and it's, it's, it's a legit great cliffhanger because it just to pause on that face 
That is quite mm. something. So that was Elephant Man. I actually got Elephant Man vibes before that, before we see his face, when he's just in the helmet and he's sort of in shadows in, in a sort of a brick laboratory. And it just, it reminded me so much of the, the David Lynch movie. Well, here's the thing. I which think, was three years think, later. So, yeah. I think Greel is, is a bit of a tragic figure, even though he he's evil. Hmm. Um, you you kind of almost feel sorry for him a little bit halfway through because there's a point actually where uh, my son spoke up. I think it was in episode four. And he commented that everyone's on the doctor's side now. And, hmm. you know, he's no longer the underdog. Like he has yeah. the cops, he has Lightfoot, he has Jago, uh, Leela, and Grills just fired Chang. Hmm. And Grill's kind of skulking about, like he, you know, points to Grill for getting his hands dirty, so to speak, and his fingernails <laughs> as well. But he he doesn't have a lot going on. Like he's he's getting cornered, you know. Hmm. Like usually at this point in the story, it's like the the good guys are the underdogs, right? But he was really like getting really desperate by halfway through. I, I, it also, in terms of places that the randomizer has taken us before, this reminded me so much of Mordrin Undead, because it is mm. another situation where a, a guy is basically trying to become a, a Time Lord, right? Without, without knowing right. that's what he's doing. He's trying to use time energy. He's trying to regenerate, uh, just like Mordrin and his, his colleagues. So it's another sort of cautionary tale for those who would travel in time that the doctor will find you and hunt you down and kill you and turn everyone against you. Uh, even your pig homunculus. Well, did you, did, did, did you know the backstory that this, this was originally at least in concept supposed to be the master, the master. Yes. Of the Wing Chang? Yes. And, and it's interesting. Cause I was watching the first episode or first two episodes of the friend who, as soon as they saw, uh, uh, Wang Chiang. They were like, "Oh, I bet that's the master." And, yeah, uh, so it almost ends up being a bit of a mislead, which mm-hmm. is kind of good. And um, we'll talk a bit about the um, what sort of what what did the this story sort of opens up about future history in a bit. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's not the master has opened up a lot of interesting uh, secondary stories. Um, but uh, the. Uh, the, 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 the master, you know, you almost can see it with the Holmesian deerstalker and all the writing, by the way, commenting about Holmes. I, I love that. There's no setup for that, that the doctor literally just walks out in his <laughs> yeah. Holmes outfit. And it's like, no, this is what we're doing. The, the doctor um, is like, cosplaying Sherlock Holmes, which is wonderful. The doctor yeah. himself <laughs> is a Holmes nerd. And, um, when, uh, well, if you think about him and Greel slowly, like the way it's structured, it's a Holmesian um, story where Moriarty on one side, Holmes on the other, and they're slowly converging throughout, hmm. you know, and then there's a sort of a final confrontation and a lot of shouting. And that fits a master story so well. Yeah. In fact, if this was a master story, it would probably be revered as one of the best, if not the best. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. But Turning it into this other person, though, really kind of opened it up to this whole other um, uh, uh, continuity of future history, mm. which ended up being really interesting. And it's funny because, like, at the end, um, th- like, who Grill is, what the homunculus is, all this stuff, it depends a lot on just, like, a lot of exposition directly from the doctor. Mm. And I-, I wanted to, act, like, ask you, like, it's a little, like, 
like, what is the fascination so much with like, why, why does it work? I guess, you know, like he kind of just, there's, there's, it comes fast and furious. I think at the beginning of episode six, where he's talking about who Grill is, the 51st century, some Filipino army advancing on Reykjavik, Reykjavik the Butcher yes. of Brisbane, alliances, an ice age, all this stuff. And he's just, whoa, what, what is going on? And yet, for some reason, like that has inspired like at least a half dozen big Finnish audios, novels, short stories, and, who have fleshed out like all of that. Um, so yeah. what is about about this story and, and, and what the doctor describes that that is like, let's let's it's, really latch onto that and, and make it uh, it's almost its own little mini continuity it's so it's so off the wall and kind kind of creative and you sort of have to stitch together stuff in your brain the fact that they've taken Reykjavik and Brisbane two cities that could not be further apart uh, it sort of sets your brain working to, to try and make sense of all that and I, I can't remember which which country's armies are advancing on Reykjavik uh, it says Filipino, a Filipino, Filipino army yeah. advancing on Reykjavik. So they are deliberately mixing stuff up. Uh, and this is happening during World War Five or Six. I can't remember which, well, it's, which World War It's it funny because people talk about World War... Like, basically, World War Six is apparently averted by whatever the doctor was mm. involved oh, in, yes, in yes, the yes. 51st century. So World War Six either doesn't happen or just doesn't happen then. You know that that's actually quite optimistic to to think that we we uh, will only have World Wars three through five between now and the thirty first century. <laughs> like I think we're, I think it's we're doing bad. pretty good as a species if we <laughs> if we can avert it for that long. Um, well, if you, well, three more though. I mean, man, the planet's yeah. still here in the fifty first century. Like that's that's the well, the, you know, the other we're side gonna, of that. we're going to need like five centuries to recuperate after each one. It's it's going to be bad. <laughs> Um, but well, especially that, if we go down a technological cul-de-sac, I'm telling yes, you, indeed. those are trouble. It's hard to yeah. turn around once you get into them. Um, indeed. And it's interesting that we have here an example of why climate change was viewed very differently in the 1970s. And unfortunately, it is today a talking point among climate change deniers to say, oh, well, you know, in the 70s, scientists were worried about an ice age, another ice age. Um, and this is sort of reflective right. of that with this sort of natural assumption that we would be in another ice age by the 50s of our century, which is actually, you know, if we had not started heating up the climate uh, in the industrial revolution by emitting CO2, we, the, the, the current belief is that eventually, yeah, we, we probably would have tipped back into another ice age. We were kind of in a pause between ice ages. Um, and right. the Earth seems to be on this cycle. So we have definitely uh, tipped the scales way too much in the other direction. Uh, <laughs> take that, Ice Age. Yeah, take that. <laughs> in other ice. words, <laughs> you're kind of making a case that global warming's good then, right? Because we're yeah. not going to have an Ice Age now. Uh, know, but then again, I, you know, it's hard to believe we could really project out to what the 51st century is going to be like. But yeah, um, I mean, it, it is age... entirely possible that we have global warming effects over the next few centuries, and then, and then we do get back on an Ice Age schedule you know yeah could happen and it could be uh uh maybe a planet will explode and <laughs> a fendal will come to earth and our orbit will shift i don't know i'm combining Spe- speaking of the, the whole- fascination and uh, i mean doctor who seems to love the 50th and 51st centuries doesn't it agreed yeah so Captain like Jack i don't know from the 50th century now, I'd have to talk to Dave. Maybe Davies has come out and said this. Um, I, I missed the interview if he did. But did he pick this century because of 
what what has been explored and, and what Talons of Wang Chiang established. Because what I really like, there, there's a bit where Grail refers to time agents. And he yes. refers to it very almost casually. And like, oh, is that some time agents are after me? And it's a good piece of world building because it implies there's like this future world where time agents are around and chasing time travelers. Um, so that's all interesting. But then, of course, as we all know, Jack Harkness is a time agent mm. from a similar era. And that's interest. That's also interesting. And you kind of get this sense, okay, from Jack, like at some point humans have time travel, but mm-hmm. almost every other projection, projection out to the future in any other future empire or civilization or great and bountiful human empire, there isn't time travel. So What's the deal? And I guess when this story kind of answers it, even though the mm. answer isn't very good, is that is that what you sort of took from that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, Captain Jack was created by by Moffat, right? In the uh, uh, Empty Child slash right. Dungeons. That's true. But that's obviously true. created by Moffat. It was his first story for the for the show uh, under the aegis of of Davies. And those guys together are such giant Doctor Who nerds. They are. You know, I would sort of put the like if the, if there was a Doctor Who trivia night, they they would probably win it. Like they are bigger nerds mm. than we could ever possibly hope to be. So I am sure that it wasn't just chosen willy nilly. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Excuse me, just challenge accepted. <laughs> I'll go toe to toe with Moffat. All right, you heard it here first, Stephen Moffat, uh, because we know you're listening. We know you listen to Paul the Open. I think he might do better on the new adventures. I think he, he read a few more of those than I have. But I'm well, this, why, this is why you need a team. Uh, I think I you know will be a team. I'll be the one focusing on the the new stuff. Uh, you're you're more of a classic Who fan than I am. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we'll take you on, Moffat and Davies. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So there's that. Uh, getting a bit closer to home, as it were, or to homes. K <laughs> nine um, is from the. Uh, 50th century as well, right? Uh, who we meet in the Invisible Enemy uh, shortly after this. Um, so again, so you kind uh, of you kind of wonder like how does that work in the sense of like the the Earth we see we never really see Earth in the Invisible Enemy, but um, it doesn't really resemble what I think Grill describes and the Doctor describes as kind of a, a war torn planet or a planet on the brink of war with a lot mm. of it's basically a dystopian society they're describing mm. with uh it's also you know it feels a bit like what the original star trek imagined the 1990s to be right where, <laughs> um that's where Khan came out and there were like the mm. world was consumed by war and there was a lot of uh, uh supermen and just these people with dreams of empire and thought they were had had the key to dominance and whatever the next um, the next phase of humanity was, which sounds very similar to what Griel was doing with Zygma Energy and his his time cabinet. Um, yeah. So this kind of like yeah, Griel, common, Griel, yeah, Griel definitely has Nazi vibes. You know, he's uh, genocidal. He's uh, you know the the butcher of Brisbane is very similar to. You know, uh, many many Nazis were were given butcher titles. Um, you know, it, it definitely again for for Doctor Who audience in nineteen seventy seven in Britain that never really left World War Two. Uh, certainly not until the eighties. 
uh, it definitely would have read as a kind of a reference to he's a war criminal. He's being hunted down. You know, the 1892 is his Argentina. Um, Hmm. And uh, yeah. the the time agents of Mossad out out to capture him. Um, and so apparently, uh, there's there's many um, the the adventures that sort of touch again on this mm-hmm. whole the the backstory here. There's there's a big Finnish audio that probably does the most, which is called the Butcher of Brisbane, hmm. and it's from 2012, and it's actually a Fifth Doctor adventure. And there's actually a point, and I, I haven't listened to it, but I want to now. Um, there's actually a point apparently where Nissa gets engaged to Greel. <laughs> what? And I'm like, wait, whoa! Not since, not since um, the uh, the governor in The Walking Dead hooked <laughs> up with Andrea have we like has there been a head turning like, holy cow, that's uh, that's unfortunate uh, moment between uh, well, evil I, dictator I, and all I hope life. is that he cleaned his fingernails for the wedding because <laughs> the doctor would not be happy otherwise. Um, there's also um, a, a story, I think it's called Emotional Chemistry, that um, fleshes out like the, the whole idea of the homunculus mm. uh, here, which doesn't really have, like apparently there's a bunch of them. There's like 12, one for each of the Zodiac, and um, this is the pig one, and it sort of has an interesting history before it's, I guess, gifted to the, uh, the Icelandic people or the Icelandic mm. minister or something like that. I forget what the doctor says. There's also uh, a novel called The Shadow of Wing Chang, mm-hmm. which pursues what happens to Mr. Sin, who apparently gets reactivated at some point, and goes to uh, Japan in the 1930s. And okay. there's some uh, back and forth between the, the uh, relationship and conflict between Japan and China at that time. So it, mm. I guess it explores a little more in depth the... Uh, the Asian sort of storylines that could uh, maybe maybe showing Asian culture a little more accurately than was seen in the original series. Uh, and then there's one more. Actually, it stars River Song Ooh. called The Talents of Greel. And that's hmm. much more recent. That was in 19, sorry, 2019. Wow. So Bringing it right up to date. It's got, yeah, you got Alex Kingston and Doing some stuff with uh, with Magnus Girl. Apparently, she goes back to uh, the Victorian era, and uh, the man who plays Jago, Christopher Benjamin, is in it. Who, hmm. of course, as most Hugh fans know, reprised his role as Jago with Lightfoot um, mm-hmm. in the series of Jago, Jago and Lightfoot audios for Big Finish, and there were like a few seasons of that. Interesting. So yeah, there, I, there I, is a lot of lore that has come out of the talons of Wang Chiang, like a lot, like abnormally huge amount, uh, as as so, who serials go. So, have you listened to Jago and Lightfoot? Any of it? I have never listened to Jago. Yeah, and me neither. I'm, I'm gonna I have keep, to try. I would always see ads for it in Doctor Who magazine, and I was like, I, you know, again, I sort of ran into this mental block of not wanting to watch talons because for potential racism. Um, which meant that I couldn't sort of get into those uh, big finish audios, but I always see it, always be curious about it. And it really does live up to bu- the billing. I mean, the chemistry that those two have on screen, oh my goodness, they're only to get there together for less than an episode, but they just, yeah, they, they don't meet till episode five. Yeah. But there's such, they're such well-drawn characters. Their dialogue is hilarious on both sides. They mesh so perfectly. 
and there's a genuine emotional warmth to their friendship. Like when Lightfoot is sort of comforting Jago about being a coward and it's like, you know, uh, I know I'm sure that, you know, you'll, you'll do the right thing and you won't let the side down and mm. all of that stuff of the two. Like Jago is probably my favorite, but I, oh, I just yeah. love both of them. Well, I liked them when they were, um, <laughs> they were basically concluded that they were done for. It was it was one of the more memorable. Oh, mm. we're done for. We're gonna we're we're most surely gonna die scenes when they're there at the end. I don't see any way out of this. I mean, it's a little pessimistic, but uh, I was like, oh man, you're gonna be fine. Uh, but the um uh what the oh what was I gonna say? The the, the doctor playing Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say uh, that either one of them is Watson? Does either like? I feel well, that's like the, that's the interesting is kind thing. Of default, but, yeah. It's the interesting thing that they're sort of both Watson. It's sort of it's like they're taking the character of Watson and split him in two. Like you know, Watson yeah. all, always had a sort of uh, slightly buffoonish aspect to him. I thought you know, sort of necessarily in the adventures, he's kind of the dummy, um, but but still smart, right? With it, um, but kind of just missing. He is things. a doctor. He is a doctor. Uh, and that, that seems think, like it could be Lightfoot. That seems like the Jago aspect. Uh, and Lightfoot right. is, is much more, you know, he's much more sort of professorial and takes stuff in his stride. Like the fact that the doctor has two heartbeats just takes that in his stride. It doesn't break his composure whatsoever. Uh, and yeah. that's not Watson-esque, but he is also just very, very good at, uh, you know, charging into things and, and keeping his calm and keeping his cool and, um, so that feels Watson-ish. So yeah, I, I think maybe that's the reason why they work. They're two Watsons for the price of one. Well, it's also like kind of an odd couple thing. Like you say, mm. Lightfoot is very unflappable, uh, whereas Jago obviously prone to, to more uh, fits of emotion and just grandiose thoughts. I really liked uh, when he um, finds Grill's lair and is like, oh man, I'm going to turn this into the 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 what I forget what he calls it the uh, mystery I don't know the layer of evil or something and he's gonna he's gonna charge uh, admission and he's gonna turn it into this amazing thing uh, that he was he's just gonna make some more money on and he has this whole plan uh, I mm. think that's just like oh you you delightful <laughs> kid <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so the so Jago's character, um, if you were watching this in Britain in 1977, you absolutely would have recognized this character as um, a kind of an homage to Leonard Sachs. It's not a name that anyone knows. Uh, certainly no one listening to this podcast. But in, uh, in ancient British history, from 1953 to 1983, there was a show called The Good Old Days. Uh, that was basically right. musical on on British TV, and the Leonard Sachs played the 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 guy who was he was the, the compere, I guess, who introduced every act uh, sitting at a desk. But he would do the the Jago thing of just like going so loquacious, and uh, what's the word sesquipedian sesquipedian? I I can never kind of pronounce it but you know using you know large voluminous words lots of alliteration um, uh. and uh, and was just known for it and, and had a patter to it and a rhythm that the audience would respond to with oohs and ahs right so 
Uh, and Jago is wonderful because he has that kind of dialogue off stage as well. So it's like you're sort of seeing behind the scenes of the good old days. Um, and I love that he could just effortlessly drunk the whole time with a cigar in his hand, manages the whole business, talk about the, the dancers tights <laughs> at one point, mm-hmm. like there's a run in one of their tights and he's dealing with that. So they throw in all this wonderful stuff that really makes you believe that he is this impresario. So what is it ultimately about this story, Chris, then that, makes it so memorable is it is it is it the combination of things or is there something you can singularly point at is it the characters is it the the verisimilitude that we talked about at the beginning mm. it's certainly not the rat um <laughs> but there's like what why is why is it it almost seems a random i mean you know not yeah it's not random but it's like yeah Atmospherics and dialogue, I think, is 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 the two things. This is this is Holmes at the at the top of his powers in terms of just the dialogue sparkles, the witticisms. You know, Doctor Who is at its best when it's often laugh out loud funny. That is certainly something that New Who grasped very early on and and did not let go of. Like you know, every it's almost like every episode of New Who now has uh, a little bit of the DNA of the talents of Wang Chang in it. Um, in that you know, just just has those those jokes and that humor, and that sort of level of kind of polished dialogue and wit to it, um, and I, I think it, it really well, started think, here. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I think it, Tom Baker's performance and how the script treats the Doctor, I think, is a big part of it. And I think that the the number of characters, what they're doing and why they're interesting, allows him to really be in command in a way that is a bit arm's length throughout. This is kind of mm. what you want to sort of see where he's, he's kind of not quite all knowing, but he's, he's got this, this sense of him where he, he just kind of knows um, more than everyone else, but it's not in, in the way of things happening. You know what I mean? Like there's other people who are kind of doing things and pushing the story forward where he could kind of, be you know kind of basically the smart guy in command mm-hmm. um I, and so i think that's a big part of it um because it's it's really like sort of like when you think of tom baker like you think of him in this story and other stories around it like just being like supreme right like oh yeah that's mm-hmm. when people think of like good memories of tom baker really being the doctor they're, they're i think they're thinking of him in this story and, and other similar sort of hinchcliffe stories and other stories around it uh because it is really, um, uh, uh, I don't know what's what the right word is, but commanding, I guess, in every sense of the word. Um, For sure. And that's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's at the height of his powers. He's effortless. Everything he says, every line he, he knocks out of the park, he has this wonderful sort of quizzical smile on his face throughout and, and those, those giant eyes. And uh, yeah, it's a joy to watch him. In this, it's just one of those lightning in a bottle moments, um, with with the atmospherics of it and the direction, and the director is paying attention to you know the rules of the the, the rule of thirds on the screen, like you know the the lighting is very professionally done. Um, it just yeah, it all came together for one magic moment. It's too bad they forgot about it when they got to uh, the androids of Tara, because man, there were some <laughs> dark scenes in that castle, <laughs> right? You know, it's- like. 
This is sort like, of. I one know. Of the... I put together those TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the frustrating things about Doctor Who, uh, classic Who, is that it doesn't seem to learn uh, as much as it should learn from its own history. Yeah, in, in teams change, budgets change. It's mm. unfortunate. Sometimes they they build and they build and then they got to rebuild again. But that's the great thing about Doctor Who, right? It's just got yep. like it reboots itself and figures out a way forward, no matter what. As it as it would do after this, which is the the end of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era, the end of the season, and you know Doctor Who would renew itself once more with the Doctor and Leela still, but definitely with a different feel. So. We have to ask, though, before we <laughs> yes. uh, figure out where we're going next, what what if the evil plot had succeeded? So for the evil plot to succeed, in this case, you have to imagine that Zygma energy actually works, right? But it does work. Okay, so, I, you know, not to hard, uh, let's go back a bit, because mm-hmm. I have to comment about this. It does work. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole idea that there's a technological cul-de-sac and it went nowhere. Well, wait, the guy actually traveled through time. Like what the the technology works. I mean, yes, he he's dying and that's a problem, but it's also like, (laughs) that's a, well, yeah. Like, and that's also like, we, that seems like a solvable problem. (laughs) Like figure it out. Like the time travel works, let's figure out how to do it so that you don't die. That seems Mm. like what happened would happen rather than abandoning time travel, which I guess happened after this. Although it seems like they perfected it by the time Jack got it. Mm. But then why did they forget about it again? I don't know. It's, it's, it, uh, the techno the Zigma energy. I don't know, man. I think it, I think it deserves a second look. Fifty, you, you try it. Fifty second century. <laughs> so, so yeah, what okay. is what is the evil plot here? I mean, he just wants to live, man. That, that's all the stakes are here, right? So he wants if he to succeeds, renew himself. but it, no, let's but let's presume he can't. Let's presume for some technological reason it just doesn't work, and that the doctor's correct, and that but he ends up. Um. Well, maybe Sin just ends up having better aim at the end. <laughs> That's not really part of the kills. evil plot, though. Sin has yeah. no plot. He's just crazy. Well, but we, we have to assume success on Grill's part, right? So he yes. gets the key somehow, mm-hmm. activates the time cabinet, mm-hmm. and he he wanted to. He just wanted to go home? Is that what he wanted to do? He just wanted to go back to the 51st century? I don't know. I think he like, wanted to journey through there? time and space having adventures. I think he, you know, he just huh. wanted his own yeah. doctor experience. <laughs> so, and if the evil question, plot like, had succeeded, what's in that time cabinet? Yeah, what's it like? <laughs> it's not. Is it just a box? Did they also have like a t- dimensionally transcendental interior? I, maybe yeah. I guess. Is that just Common Time Machine One Hundred and One to have? Uh, because it isn't. That's also the case with the Mordron capsule, right? That it's dimensionally right. transcendent. It's bigger on the inside. Which was so, just so weird because it was just a capsule. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway. So he, so he, he just, you know, he, he gets yeah, he his time off. cabinet and he goes off somewhere. He's just, yeah. okay, I'm good. But yeah, presumably if that's a whole big finish series on its own. If the doctor's right about Zygma energy though, he just dies anyway. Mm. Shortly after that. Cause he can't get enough people. Like it's always like increasing, right? He's got to like keep harvesting more and more people at quicker yeah. intervals to, yeah, so so more alive. more women are killed. You know, maybe all the women are killed. Maybe he just keeps going. Maybe eventually Scotland Yard gets off its ass and employs its you know disappearing police box technology to track this down. Like it, 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 one of the more ridiculous things about the Talents of Wen Chang is the fact that this 
massive sort of Scarface level battle is going on inside Greel's right. lair at the end. And then the silence descends and you can hear the muffin man from outside, which means that outside you would have been able to hear the sounds of the entire battle. And yet somehow right. the police have not arrived on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Was there, was, was there a Chinatown back then? But then again, where would the, why would the muffin man be in Chinatown? Yeah. Okay. So that, that yeah. none of that works. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you know, Chinatown's definitely a part of London. Um, uh, probably was back then, but still like Presidents would have sounded the alarm. There would have been an investigation. Maybe the doctor was fleeing the scene by going to buy the muffins, you know, uh, before mm. before the cops could come. Uh, well, speaking of loose ends, hmm. what what happened to the other rats? <laughs> there was like they, at least a few, right? They, they refer they to there's, there's more than one because the doctor kills one. Um, he's a badass with that rifle, by the way. And there was, I think, real refers to plural, but there's definitely mm-hmm. other ones because, like, he one of them chops off Chang's um, leg. It's got to be like two or three more. Yeah, I think they uh, they end up on British uh, kids TV. Uh, there was actually a character <laughs> in the eighties called Roland Rat who was famous for a while. Uh, and it was kind of, sort of this this fluffy character, but definitely a descendant of the the giant. The cute giant rats of towns of Wang Chiang. Well, I want to see. I want to see a version of Ratatouille where <laughs> the rat is one of these escaped rats, and he's just full size, and he's just there in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, chopping cucumbers. We're fine. I'm. It's all good. I know what I'm doing. And then, like, if he gets a bad review, he just you know eats the guy's head off. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a crossover with Werewolves of London. Uh, maybe the, the crossover can be the rat is actually running the Chinese restaurant that the werewolf has gone to nice. in, in the song. Anyway, right. <laughs> anyway, isn't it All weird right. that one of the one of the best uh, stories in Doctor Who history has such low stakes as we've discovered by you know if the evil plot had succeeded, eh, it, it's it's the lowest <laughs> stakes that we've run across in our entire journey. Other so than far. maybe Androids Atara, but that would have affected a whole planet. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, this is just affecting one guy. So maybe the lesson here, the moral of the story for future Doctor Who writers, who I'm sure are listening to this episode, um, is keep your stakes low and focus on characters and mood, and you too can create classic Doctor Who. Agreed. Do not go straight to all of time and space, Arthur. <laughs> do not do that. You have to do earn not, that. Do not destroy the Earth again. <laughs> yes. All righty. All right. Speaking of a randomizer. Yeah, let's figure out where we are going next. So So. for regular listeners, as you know, uh, we use random.org, a website that allows you to create a true random number because computers don't do that very well. They use algorithms to guess at a random number, pseudo-random technology. This uses atmospheric noise, uh, atoms bouncing around the atmosphere. It's a truly random thing. so we it's funny, there is definitely lots of atmospheric noise in the mm. venture we just saw. So perhaps we're we're going to overload the thing this week. Indeed. So every at the end of every episode, I enter the number one and the one number two hundred ninety-seven uh, for the total number of Doctor Who stories that there've been, and I hit the generate button, and we will just watch whatever comes up. We do not know. There's nothing up my sleeve. We are not aware in advance. 
It could be anything from an unearthly child to, uh, oh God, what was the last Christmas special called? <laughs> Revolution, Resolution of the Dalek. Revolution, Revolution of the Dalek. Revolution. Yes, not Resolution, that was the other. Uh, so it could be any yeah. of these things. Um, are, we, are we ready? Pete, do you want to issue the randomizer with the challenge? Oh my goodness. I, I, it ignores my challenges. But, um... <laughs> it really does. I have a challenge. I would like Go the randomizer it. to take us to a multiple Doctor episode. Oh my. That could be anything from the two Doctors, three Doctors, five Doctors, uh, twice upon a time. Um, the Doctor. Yep. Anything yeah. with multiple Doctors in it. So may not happen, but there's, there's a good chance. Yeah, All right. That's a right. that's a narrow focus, but I you know I like <laughs> I like the extra challenge that you've given it. All right, you, you want right. to count me down? Let's count you down. Four, three, <laughs> two, one. Hot Two hundred and sixty-three. My goodness! Oh no, we have gotten to Capaldi again. Again, it is face the Raven. No. Yes, it is. My just God, randomizer. Why do you love Capaldi so much? It just really loves Capaldi. Like, I mean, wow, this will be our fifth. Our fifth Capaldi, John. That's and, crazy. Uh, yeah, interesting. And it comes at the end of season nine. Yes, season nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this is when it's really sort of winding down or revving up, depending on your point of view. Yeah, and um, it's it's a marvelous, marvelous story. I loved it when it first came out. It's it's not as great as as Heaven Sent, which immediately follows it. But uh, yeah, I loved Face the Raven, and looking forward to seeing it again. I can see the connection that the randomizer has drawn. You know the the sort of back streets of London feel. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? The ab- well, we we did talk about atmosphere. This one has we some did. atmosphere. We did, and the stakes are low again because they're just one person, right? It's just Clara. Mm. Interesting. You've done it. You've made All the right. connection. Without uh, without spoiling too much on Face the Raven, um, we will we will leave that there. <laughs> we will and, face uh, face the Raven soon enough. <laughs> We're going to turn away from the Raven for a moment to exit the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. thank you for everyone for listening and facing the talons of Wang Chiang with us. <laughs> uh, it was a pleasure going back to one of these uh, the most classic episodes of Doctor Who, despite a lot of problematic uh, bits of it. Um, yeah, thank you, Randomizer, weird. for finally making me watch it after all these years. I'm glad I did. Thank you, Randomizer. We did it. Uh, hey guys, this has been Pull to Open. Thanks for listening. If you have not yet subscribed to us, we are a podcast. And as a podcast, we are available on all your great podcast services, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, all the good stuff. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and leave us a review. We love reviews. We love five-star reviews especially, but we're certainly not going to tell you what to write. Uh, just leave us a review and we will uh, talk about your review on the, on the pod. Follow us on social media. We are super active on TikTok. We, we took a bit of a break, but we're back up uh, sharing stuff around. And uh, we are at Pull to Open on TikTok. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Pull to Open 63. And there you have it. We will be back for Face the Raven. See you next time, folks. Thank you.